Welcome to Mending Fences, a podcast about effective ways to communicate and live with differences. I'm Patrice Bremner. And I'm Jen Hawthorne. We're both family law mediators and collaborative law attorneys, but our conversations go well beyond family law. We explore the personal, interpersonal, legal, and cultural impact of conflict. Hi, and welcome back to Mending Fences. This is Patrice Bremner, and I'm here with Jen Hawthorne. Hi, Patrice. Hi, Jen. Jen and I want to talk today about money, and we want to talk about how we earn money and what we do to stay in good communication with our clients about how much our fees are, what our services cost, what a process might cost from beginning to end, and just how to keep having that conversation with clients because divorce can be super expensive or not. A lot of it depends on which process you choose, but not all of it. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think sometimes folks come into it expecting one process to be a certain price level and it's not. And I think that you know, I always throw, I don't know if you do this, Patrice, I always throw sort of an asterisk and they'll sometimes phrase it this way in a consultation, like an asterisk up next to the the answer to the question of like, well, how much is this going to cost? Right. Because the truth is as professionals, we know what sometimes the process costs, but I've had my average that I throw out there for folks, depending on the process they're interested in. And I always say there's people at both ends of the spectrum Like it's a whole spectrum of how much this could cost. And it's due in in large part to a lot of different things that we don't know at the beginning. Right. We don't know what their conflict style is. We don't know if we're going to reach an impasse and have one issue that like sort of gets stuck for a little while that takes some unsticking. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so I think it, it, it might help towards the beginning of this conversation to get a little bit concrete about a couple of things. And so we're talking specifically about the cost of mediation and then the cost of a collaborative case, and they can be really different. And we can talk through why in just a minute. But I think the other thing I want to make sure we get really specific and concrete about is what people get charged for. You know, I think some people are surprised. Maybe they've even, they've read a fee agreement and they've signed it and they're excited to get started and they may not be taking in, you know, it, when you sign a fee agreement with an attorney specifically, look, the people have different billing practices, but chances are you're going to be billed for all of the time that that person spends on your case, because that's how they make their living, right? Is the time they spend on a given case. So that will include telephone calls, email communication, communication with other professionals about your case. It's all charged. Some attorneys do things differently. I know increasingly there are attorneys who, in, in our work, who do things at flat rates. And so that's a that's a much different thing. But I think it pays at the beginning for clients to really understand how they're going to be charged, how frequently they're going to see a bill, um, and how the billing system of of an office works. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think even in instances where someone is charging a flat rate, there's usually parameters for what that means. Like it doesn't mean that they could use every day for a solid week that professional's time and not have something happen. In most cases, there may be some attorneys out there that that have that sort of agreement. 
that I know, you know, we have a few services that we offer at flat rates at Skylark and those services are very clearly defined. And if somebody wants something outside of those services or goes beyond the parameters of what that first fee agreement says, there has to be a conversation before there's more work done. Because as you said, Patrice, I, I know clients sometimes feel like we are nickel and diming them for lack of a better way of saying it. Yeah. But it is also on the flip side from our perspective, it's true that this is how we earn a living. Right. And our living earning is not often what people think of when they think of attorneys and mediators in general. We're billing for all of our time for eight hours a day, five days a week. Right. Before we get into like the difference between what people might expect in mediation versus collaborative, I want to just kind of highlight a couple more things about billing. So some folks will do things on flat rates. I do some things on flat rates and other Mm -hmm. things not. And it's for me, the other thing I would want people to know is that this may not be true for everybody, but for me, some things are negotiable and it's worth having that conversation at the beginning of a case to say like, is what can we do? How can we work together? And then in terms of just like billing practices, sometimes I'll, I'll just speak for myself. There are some things for which I still take retainers. It's less and less. I don't really like it really, but there are times when if I'm getting involved in a case and it's usually a collaborative case where I'm going to have to put in hunks of time, significant hunks of time up front early, early, early in that process that I want to secure some of my time. And so when I'm saying retainer, it it may not be, some people are going to argue and say, it's not, that's not really a true re- meaning of the word retainer. I'm not on retainer, but I do take a deposit. We can call it that, although we usually call it a, a retainer. And it's held in a in an account, in a trust account that's not mixed with any of my other earned income. And it's unearned. It's sitting there as unearned income, but it's like a deposit. Mm-hmm. And as I work on the case and put in time, I'll draw against it to pay my invoice. And when it runs out or reaches a certain point, I let the client know, like, you've, you know, we need more and we go from there. But my practice, you know, I'm not as reliant on that as I used to be. And I'm more likely now to bill as I go along, particularly in mediation. And I know your practice has a different way of doing things. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, we do something very different. We, several years ago, like I want to say four or five, switched from taking retainers to taking a pre-authorized credit card or two. Um, and we just actually just just recently revised our policy a little bit so that now just based on our system, I think we're only going to have one credit card on retainer for each client set if we're dealing with two clients in mediation. And what we do is we bill weekly if a client has spent at least one hour of time with us. So each week we look at the outstanding client roster for bills and any client or client set that has at least an hour receives an invoice in their email. They have until the following week to pay the bill. That way they have the option of splitting it between two credit cards or changing their credit card if they want to not use the one that's on file and pay that bill down every Monday or Tuesday in the case of a holiday. The bills are run and anyone who hasn't made their payment yet, the the card that we have on file is charged. So that it never is more than, you know, two weeks from when we've done the work. If there's a full hour, 
if we have a month where a whole month goes by without there being a full hour, which definitely happens when, you know, there's a pause in the process where we're at a drafting stage and there just wasn't a lot for any of the professionals here to do in a particular month. At the end of the month, we bill everybody that hasn't had a bill that month, but that has some outstanding time. So that in totality, it's never more than a month since we did the work when someone receives the bill. And again, it goes on a credit card if a payment isn't made otherwise within one week of of billing. And I know I've heard from clients feedback about both ways of doing it. And and there are upsides and downsides and there are things that people like about it and things that people don't like about it. And I can see that the way you do it, one great thing would be that people will always be in reality about where they are in the spending. So it doesn't creep up on them and suddenly catch them by surprise that this process is costing more than maybe they had expected. On the flip side, I've heard from clients that they don't like getting the weekly bills, that it feels overwhelming sometimes, you know, that they would prefer seeing it less frequently. But the downside to that and what I run into with my way, and it makes me want to change to doing it the way you do it, is, you know, that a lot of time can be spent in a month, especially in collaborative cases. And we can get more into this, but like the the hours can rack up so fast and, and unexpectedly. And the professional team, you know, is doing what they need to do. And they may be putting out fires or building new approaches or, or doing what, you know, whatever. It's not just, you know, we get together before each full meeting to create an agenda. There might be much more work involved. And while we're always looking at like, do we really need to all be on the call or can just two of us be on the call? Or is there a way to, you know, a way to use fewer professionals for each piece? Um, things can really spin out. And, mm-hmm. and get expensive and a client might get a big bill at the end of the month. I always try to let people know when that's happening. Like, you know, this is, you know, a lot of time is going into your matter right now. And people usually know because they're involved. You know, they're talking to me more. We're having more email communication. They know there's a problem that's being dealt with. So what do you hear, Jen? So we just changed our process. So it used to be true that the bills would go out saying they were paid already and that they're just sort of getting a receipt, even though there was always a lag of a few days between when we sent that invoice out and when we actually ran the credit cards. But what we heard in in that period of time sometimes was, I, I didn't realize that you billed for X, Y, or Z. I mean, I don't think it's different things than folks who bill once a month will hear. I think it does happen more frequently, like you pointed out. And so part of the shift in our billing process was to give people an opportunity to recognize their card hasn't been billed yet and that they can come back to us with those questions. But I think in reality, whether it's happening, I I think you're right that the bills can get larger over the course of a month. But I think the root of the complaints any of us receive as professionals It's a costly process that at some point, most clients think, okay, we're sitting here spending down all of these assets for these professionals, while at the same time trying to actively resolve the conflict over who gets what. And those things are at odds with each other, right? Right. Like the more conflicts people have, the larger the bill is going to be. The more people ask their professionals to do, the larger the bill is going to be. So if you're 
asking for a summary of, of what's happening in a meeting or you're in a collaborative process where you're sharing the notes, that's a more expensive thing than taking notes during the meeting yourself. What it does is it frees up your own headspace to participate fully in the process, but everything has a, a cost. And I, right. I think that's what surprises people almost always at some point in the process is how expensive those other things can get. Yeah. And in a collaborative process, I think it's worth noting that the teams, at least any team I've been on, we've been always mindful of, all right, it's time to talk about the parenting plan. You don't really need the attorneys present for that. Maybe the parents can meet directly with the coach facilitator to to devise a parenting plan. And then it comes back to the attorneys for any input they might have or, you know, whatever. And likewise, if there are financial issues that are going to be developed and, and, and information gathered and maybe some scenarios run, instead of having the attorneys do that, work with a financial neutral. So you're paying one neutral, usually a lower hourly rate than you would pay one attorney. So you have one person doing the work and and you can meet with that person as a neutral. And so we look for ways to do that. Definitely. And um, I've ever worked on as well. Yeah. And so we really do. I really want people to hear that. Like, I don't know yeah. any collaborative professionals who don't actively look for ways to you know, protect people's assets from that standpoint. But I think the big takeaway for me from this whole conversation, Jen, is just to keep the conversation open, to be transparent. Don't be afraid to talk to your professionals about what it's costing, and Jen, before we started recording, you made a suggestion that I really liked, and I've never seen it in a collaborative case, but to talk openly, maybe at a first full meeting with everybody about what the expectations are. And if the the if the divorcing spouses have you know some idea of what of what they think it's going to cost or what they're what they're willing to um spend, frankly, jointly. On, on the process. It's the last right. major expense for a couple. And I'd like to say it's worth it. It's an investment. It's not just, we got to get this done. For some people, it really is like an investment in their future co-parenting or an absolutely. investment. In, right. Yeah. It's absolutely building a plan for the future and it's learning communication models and process models to use for effective co-parenting. They're not just paying for our time, but hopefully buying something that makes their future better. And I did suggest that before when we were chatting before we hit record. And in part, that's because when I have mediation clients, I find that conversation naturally happens. And that happens a little bit when I'm talking about my billing process, because what I explain as one of the pros, which I think you already talked about, Patrice, is that my clients always know how much they've spent on the process. And so I usually point out that also means that if you feel like it's too much, we can talk about strategies for how you can reduce the cost while still staying in mediation. So whether it's that they're doing some of the stuff on their own, as long as it's not increasing the hostility and tension between the two of them, or going to see a financial neutral to get some answers, or you know, really being thoughtful about what information is being gathered so that the conversations we're having all together are really as productive as possible. And all of those things can happen in the collaborative process. But I think as a community, we've just never done that because it's different professionals billing. And it it's an easy conversation to have when you're the one person billing clients. 
it feels a little bit more awkward when you're talking about, well, yes, there's three professional team members, maybe four or five sitting in the room. And we're talking about how much you collectively want to spend on all of us. And we obviously want to be very, very mindful of ethics in terms of how much we talk about what we're charging our individual clients and things of that nature. But being mindful of the total cost overall might really help a lot of clients. And it might push some of our conversations earlier on to focus on cost savings a bit more. Yeah. And it's, I think it's a good conversation for us to have within the community and explore how we can better serve clients this way. There are ethics concerns. You know, lawyers are prohibited from price fixing and we can't coordinate with each other to, you know, to set our rates. However, um, we can be transparent. Right. And right? mindful so, of how much time we're using. Well, right. And I think that, I, so it's, it comes up, so it makes it uncomfortable. I think lawyers just as a group are very uncomfortable talking to each other about their rates because we feel like it's such a taboo thing to talk about. Right. But in reality, my rates are on my website. Your and, rates are on your website. Yes. I know what you charge. You know what yeah. I charge. So I don't know about other people. But I kind of, I've thought like, I want it, I want people to know before they even contact me. Right. You know, I don't see a reason not to advertise that, but I don't know case by case what someone else is charging. And there's always this sense, like, I can't ask, I'm not supposed to know. Um, I'm not going to change my rate because I hear what somebody else is charging. So I think we sometimes are overly cautious about that. Agreed. What I have had, what I, the conversations I have had at the beginning of collaborative cases is the team might talk about how many hours have you secured? Like how many hours of retainer do you have? If you're doing the billing the, the way you're doing it, you, that we wouldn't be able to have the conversation. My comment is always, we don't have that system. Right. So there isn't a certain number of hours. So it's an ongoing conversation. Right. But it's, it's, but I think it's worth knowing it's, I don't know. We've got to find a way to to talk about it yeah. better within our own community so that we can give clients a clear idea. Like we can at least tell them each collaborative law meeting is going to take between two and three hours, probably it closer will to have three. a pre-brief and a debrief. Right, right. So if we could right. take like for each collaborative law meeting, there's going to be this many hours of your professional team time. And that's three professionals billing simultaneously. Right. And then any, and then in addition to that, there would be any prep that the individual attorneys are doing with the clients. Right. Um, and so you can kind of figure out, like, you know, if you have one meeting per month, it's going to be X number of dollars minimum. And if you're doing two meetings a month, yeah, it's going to be at least double that. So right. you could kind of figure it out from there. Yeah. But the what the thing we don't know, as you were saying in the beginning, Jen, is that we can't predict at the beginning of a case how many meetings it's going to take. And people always want to know. And I usually say most cases, like a collaborative case, most cases settle or resolve between, you know, somewhere between three and five meetings sometimes. But again, it's a spectrum and sometimes right. more, sometimes less. But I don't know if I've ever had a case that actually finished in under three meetings. I might have. I might have had one that was two. I don't think I have either. And the same number seems to apply basically to mediation for me. It's somewhere between three and five meetings usually, but it could be 
It could be more. It could go on for a long time. Yeah. I usually, for mediations, I usually tell folks that mediations where there are no children or there are only adult children are usually two to three meetings, um, unless there are, you know, significant assets that need to be divided, in which case it's more like with children, which is three to five. Yeah. But I have had some folks who come into an initial consultation and have worked out a ton of what they want at the kitchen table. And we get through that initial consultation. Maybe it's a longer initial consultation than otherwise, but I've gotten all the way through an entire separation agreement or ready to draft an initial draft at least after just an hour or two. That's rare. And then I have some mediation clients who I've met with them, you know, 10 plus times. And it's just ongoing and there's a lot to talk about. And there's a lot of, you know, sometimes it's just a very complicated asset situation or debt situation as the case may be. And sometimes it's just a lot of discussion. And I think the real question that we always have to be asking as professionals is, are we being transparent enough about our fees so that our clients feel like they're getting value for the fees that they are paying? Or the yes, or they're able at the to make end an, of the day, right? Yeah. Or I, I always ask, like, are are they able to make informed decisions about yes. how about their process choice? Yes. The other thing, I, as I was listening to, you, I was thinking one of the other things that can make a process take longer than anyone expected, and it happens more frequently than it, it happens in so many cases. There are changes of circumstances that are just unforeseen when you start. And we've had cases, you and I have had cases where, you know, somebody has a really significant medical diagnosis and the process is on hold. And now things are looked at differently. It changes the issues or somebody loses a job or someone has to relocate or somebody, you know, all kinds of life changes happen along the way that can really change. The economy really changes and interest rates are skyrocketing. Thought they had a plan for their house and now they don't. Right. And all kinds yeah. of things can happen and things can happen in your extended family. Like things, life yeah. happens Absolutely. and there are impacts on the conversation that's happening as part of the divorce process. Right. And it's interesting to me, the number of job changes that happen during a divorce process. I can't overstate that. Like in a lot of divorces, somebody either loses a job or, or and it's unfortunate. Well, and that's been, you know, especially heightened over the last couple of years with COVID. Like, I think COVID was the biggest life event that no one saw coming. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But we've seen a lot of different things. And those are things okay. we can't build into our estimate of how long the right. process will take or how much it will cost. Right. Yeah. Because those kinds of events change everything for families. Exactly. Exactly. So I think it's, you know, it's it's like we always say, we're going to keep talking and we want people to keep talking and be comfortable talking to their professionals yes. about how much is this costing? How much is it going to cost? And, and, and know that your professional is going to try to answer as best they can. No one's trying to be evasive. We just honestly don't always know the answers. Right. And when you're choosing a professional, try to choose someone that you feel like you can have that conversation with pretty easily. Such a because good point. You should be able to have a very open and transparent conversation about whether, from your perspective as a client, it's costing too much. That's right. And part of the reality of this is just that it is expensive. 
Yeah. You know, and I think that folks don't go through their married life saving up for their divorce. They don't have a divorce fund. Right. Which means it often ends up coming out of equity or retirement or savings of some sort. Right. Yeah. That's right. So we'll keep talking. We will keep talking. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. You're welcome. Thanks.